Yeah, um, welcome to our second uh, Google Hangouts of the Bungalow Company. And Noelle from Otawi Tile, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited you could, uh, we could get together today and uh, have an opportunity to uh, talk about uh, design and some of the work that you guys have been doing. Sounds great. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to a really great TED Talk that you had given, and um, uh, I found it, uh, being familiar with your work, I, I still found it very interesting, uh, not knowing much about your past. Um, it was very interesting the way you started your, your business, your design, your, your tile and pottery business. Um, we were kind of doing a, a similar thing at the same time. I was working in Seattle for a large architecture firm, and uh, I, I went out on my own in, in uh, '95, so a little a little later than you. Um, but um, you know, was really focusing on um, not working for somebody else, and and kind of in, in kind of embracing the idea of being your your own boss. Um, it took me 20 years to figure out that that was basically <laughs> because <laughs> I was unemployable by anybody else. <laughs> um, but it was, and, and I found another parallel. I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting um, in looking at your tile work and also just listening to some of the things you had to say in the TED Talk. Was um, I see a lot of you know working with with new concepts and natural concepts, but also having you know a, a strong connection to um, um, things from the past as well. Yeah, that's a really important part of things for me. Is I'm inspired by what I've seen and the things that have been made, which are so beautiful. So yeah, that's important, I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting. I also find that it's 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 been a very interesting parallel in times too. You know, certainly was some of the you know the arts and crafts inspired work. I feel like we've kind of gone um, you know certainly the '90s and uh, um, there were, it was the the land of the big box house, and you kind of couldn't uh, for us you couldn't really talk people into much else unless they were going to spend a ton of money and be into a you know very high end custom product. So I found it right. interesting that you know there was kind of a reawakening culturally um, to not just a style but more a philosophical approach about how we would live. Oh yeah, that's part of being you know, definitely a big piece of the attraction of the arts and crafts movement and thinking. Um, you know, one one funny piece of the philosophy to me has always been the idea that the individual craftsman is is the maker of that there's no specialization in the workforce, really, that one person makes the whole piece. And, it, you know, even we don't do that. <laughs> and the idea that a craftsman, that people can hand make things and they would still be really inexpensive, which turns out to be uh, not true unless you're using uh, foreign labor <laughs> in this day and age. So if an American is going to make it, uh, make a piece, it's not going to be, you know, at Walmart prices. It's just not going to be a commodity priced item if it's handmade in America. No, I, you're definitely right about that. We did a project uh, about a year ago in Bethesda, uh, no, two years ago in Bethesda, Maryland, and we tried to do an all-American-made house. And it was very bizarre, the, the, things that, <laughs> the things that are made in this country and the things that are not made in this country. Um, and one of the things that was really interesting to me was things as simple as nails. Um, like Maze Nails is one of the few nail companies. It's like most of the nails are coming from overseas, and never mind, you know, um, more artistic products. Um, there seems to be a niche market, niche market for that, but nobody wants, you know, not nobody, but there are fewer people willing to pay the price um, for the quality. And I think the thing that gets lost is often that there's a. It's not just the quality of the product, but there's a huge intention behind 
you know, the different, the, you know, making the right design at the right time and, and how people react to that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I realize that there are some things that I, some motifs that I refuse to make, and it's really, it must be the artist in me, that, because they are everywhere. And I mean, for instance, in tile, a lot of, everyone makes a rope border, R-O-P-E. And uh, I have resisted for 22 years so far because it's so um, it's so ubiquitous, and I, I just don't want to make it because everyone else makes one, and, so, and I can't bring anything. Or you know, it's not a new thing. Now, the way I think about these things now is a little more nuanced. Is that if I'm going to do a theme that's been done over and over, a motif, then I should bring something unique to it. I should be able to do, you know. The most amazing pressed herb. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to do herbs on tile, then I'm going to bring something to herbs on tile that's never been seen, and it's going to be really beautiful. Really, no matter what the motif is, the piece needs to be really beautiful and have all those aspects of um, quality design that, that that I was talking about in my TED talk, which we can bring those out a little bit. Yeah, I think that's interesting too because there's a big difference between working with a motif in my mind, which is a lot of what we do, um, and, and then and making something authentic as opposed to just you know re trying to replicate something uh, and make it make it feel like the past or borrow from the past in a couple of in a couple of key areas that leaves it you know feeling inauthentic. And I think it's they're very subtle gestures in whether you're I think whether you're designing a tile or designing a house or you know, on a grander scale, you know, a neighborhood and, um, you know, a whole piece of land planning. I think that it's the subtle nuances. It's the collection of those. It's not necessarily, like, one big gesture. If you put a great uh, Motawi tile fireplace in your, you know, track house, is that going to be beautiful in the track house? Yes, it will be beautiful, but is does it does it elevate the whole, if the whole concept around it isn't good, it's hard for it to get the total experience. I, I totally understand your point. Now, of course, as a person trying to make a living, you know, I'm happy to put <laughs> fireplaces in any house that someone wants. It's clearly more gratifying when it's part of a really beautiful whole package. Um, there was something I wanted to mention about design. It made me think, uh, when you were talking, it made me think about uh, how I approach design with my staff as motifs versus larger concepts. Uh, I have a rule, which is that a word is not an idea. So someone might say, oh, we should do a ginkgo leaf. And I'll say, hey, that's great. Bring me a visual. I need to see an image that's very enchanting and beautiful that somehow, when I look at that image, I can see a gorgeous Motawi tile in it. I can see how our technique would work, how I might frame it. So Noel's rule is a word is not an idea. <laughs> no, no, that makes Doesn't sense. Count. That definitely makes sense because I think that it's uh, there has to be there has to be more to it. Um, you know, sometimes it, it starts with a word. It starts with a you know. I did a restaurant one time with uh, where my client brought me a painting and says, uh, "This is the kind of food that we're making, but I want it to feel like this." And I'm like. Oh, okay, like this. Wow, <laughs> and, that's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and after after looking at this, sitting at my drawing board and looking at it for you know a, a week and <laughs> struggling uh -huh. for 
concept, you know, eventually it's I started to I started to connect with that piece and understood that um, you know I under I got the feeling finally, you know, and the feeling and the feeling led me you know down those avenues of exploration, and I, I think that oftentimes people are um, they don't give exploration uh, enough value. Until you failed enough times, you you don't you you really have you really have and you turned over all these leaves. You really don't know that what you did the first time was good. Sometimes you, I mean you have to. I mean I and I will laugh because sometimes I actually will incite my own failure. I will I will be like okay I've been looking at it this way for three hours and I really think I've got it worked out. Now I'm going to flip this piece of trace paper over and I'm going to face this house north and I'm going to do four other things and see if any if I discover anything about it. And right. Interesting. You usually do. <laughs> You know that's a that's a great point you make about um, about that that stuff that happens in your brain while you're stumbling around trying to figure it out. Um, you know I'm not even sure I give it enough importance because in the sort of always many things going on that happens at Matawi. I mean we've got you know there's always some marketing thing going on or a project or a production thing and and it's not that I have to manage all those things by any means, but if you're um, pulled in a lot of directions, it can be really hard to take the time to to stumble around, <laughs> which right. you need to do. You know, that's unromanticizing art, artwork. I mean, when I stumble around, eventually I make things that people really love, so it's very productive in the end, um, but it does take time that doesn't feel productive. Um, I think the other thing with that too is like we also after doing it for a long time, um, and I feel really fortunate to have started pretty young and and you know and you know I'm 47 and I feel like you know a lot of people don't even get started till then, and right. uh, and I and I and I do feel like it's a there is this amount of time and I, I forget the name of the book but I think it was by this guy Robinson who talks about the 10,000 hours. Oh you, yeah. 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 Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers or something. Or yeah. maybe it was somebody else. Yeah. And it yeah. is interesting because you you forget that you know you've been in, and especially as the business owner and and really the conceptual artist and you know design direction for a company, you forget that you really you are able to work through some pretty major concepts at a different rate, um, just just with your sheer amount of experience and, and and kind of that that whatever that corporate knowledge is or whatever that that craft knowledge is, you're able to you know. You know, it's the it's, what do they say? It's like, uh, what are you paying me for? It's like you're not paying me for this design. You're paying me for the 20 years of experience I have to be able to do this design. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's a great point. You know, it'd be nice if um, when people are, you know, worried about the price it costs uh, for something or for design, that, that that's understood. So it's good to be talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of times people don't see the embedded cost of design in whatever they buy, and I think that the the the, the issue with making something um, like you guys, you guys have a you have an inline product, but that you have that you, that you end up customizing. Yes. And we're kind of the same way. We we do do things totally custom for people, but we also do have an inline product that we customize. And I think that people, it's very transparent how much it costs to design that, mm -hmm. as opposed to going out and buying a new, you know, Audi sedan or something where the design there's a ton of dollars in design, and it's just not transparent. I mean, you're you're walking away with this physical thing, but you it's not it doesn't say there isn't a line item on there that you know 30 percent of this vehicle was 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 paid for is design and research and development. Right, right. That makes a ton of sense. You know, one other thing that people um, 
makes a big difference in people's understanding and love of Matawi is if they've come on a tour of the, of the tileworks or not. So we actually do free factory tours of the tileworks every single week. Thursdays at 11 a.m., <laughs> you can just show up, and people are uniformly uh, entranced by that. Kids, you know, we have children come through, we have seniors come through, we have people that are into manufacturing, people that don't care about that. Um, everybody comes away with a, a, you know, a much broader, deeper understanding of what it takes and, and a, a good understanding of, you know, why it might cost what it does. Um, and that, so there's just no uh, no substitution for being there and seeing it, really. Right. And really, the web would work. <laughs> well, and I think the other thing too, when you get something that's handmade, um, it still but still has a, a you know a method of being produced. I mean, there are. It, I think that uh, people have really lost track of what it does take to actually make something. I mean, I see that in some of our clients, um, and I do and I do see that we've become kind of separated from how we make things. Um, how we grow our food, how we do all this other stuff. So I think it's when people really, you know, step beyond the Home Depot experience where, you know, it's enough work to go buy that rope tile at Home <laughs> Depot and, you know, and actually install it right on a wall. Never mind, like, what does it really take to say, I've had, a, I've had an idea and my ideas are strong enough that I built a, you know, a, a way to manufacture and craft these things and, and sell these things. And every day you're kind of, and it's not like you're selling, it's not like you're selling to, you know, a massive chain store. You have to. Your stuff has to is unique enough that there's a specialized market for it. Yes, um, one could wish that the mainstream loved Matawi, <laughs> but it wouldn't. Uh, of course, it wouldn't be us. Um, you know, we really do. Uh, as you said, we make a line of tile, and we don't stock it much of it really. Um, there, all the tile for installations is made to order. So when tile is made for a project, it really does come out and get spread out on a big table, uh, and we look at it to make sure all the parts match in the way that we think they should before we put it in a box and send it to the customer. Uh, so we're our own harshest critic here at Matawi. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing with us, too. It's like the, people look at part of our business and, and say, oh, look, they have these plans that are ready to go. And I can tell you that you know if everybody just bought those plans ready to go without any changes, it would be a, you know it'd be a much simpler business. But it's really more like I think it's more like buying a suit. It's like it's like it's a pattern. It's a pattern for um, it's a pattern for like you know we're gonna take this house plan. We're gonna we're gonna talk to you about the you know how you live, how what the orientation is, mm -hmm. what the site is, and then you start cutting the cloth and you start stitching in the you know the modifications, the alterations to it. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, I mean there's no two alike. That's a great metaphor. I love that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the other thing that's interesting um, about that is is people. Um, it's part of leading them on that exploration. It's it's the it's the idea that you know don't feel like you know if you're gonna build a house that's five or six hundred thousand dollars you know or, or two hundred thousand dollars you know don't be don't be caught up with making a couple of changes I mean with any luck if that house is you know the the better job you do applying that that house and, and making it somebody's and, and you know responding to the land you know the more likely that house is to have a super long life to become part of the urban fabric to you know, to re to really you know, accentuate the essence of what that neighborhood or what that place is. Otherwise, if it's just a bad idea, you know, you can see how those things will come and go in a short period of time. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Well, I love just the idea of having a full neighborhood that's cohesive. It doesn't happen that that much, but I, I really love it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just it's lovely when that can happen. And there are definitely, we can all think of signature houses in our towns. That It's not that anyone decreed that. As, it's just that when I talk to a, you know, a person from a different walk of my life and I say, oh, that house on Woodlawn, and they say, yes, I know the one. Uh, it's beautiful. And I, I, that's, pretty, that's pretty wonderful. And it, it's great to be part of those kinds of houses, I would say, for sure. Yeah, and that's where design's the difference. And I, and I don't think design is always it, like you use that example of a you know like a key house in an old neighborhood. It's not that like you know some famous architect designed it or it was like you know it can be fairly anonymous. And it can and it really is more about you know people getting it right. And, and a lot of times I think that in design, people getting it right is just being open to the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And taking some time to really think. Uh, and not always go with the first idea, but, but let things stew. You know, and, and not being in a hurry helps a lot. <laughs> my, dad, my, my dad's a contractor, and, he's, and he always says, a, a home builder, a craftsman, artist, really, and he always says, time is the enemy of all good work. Ah. I, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but I, 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 you know, it's always interesting to see, um, I really, uh, you, know, it, you know, kind of more nuts and boltsy, um, talking about laying out your, your tile, um, and I, I got something pretty interesting in your TED Talk when you flashed on that fireplace. And um, there's, a fire, there's a fireplace that's the ugly fireplace. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's really, inter it's really interesting. It's, like, it's kind of like designing for, um, I, I explain it to clients, like designing for new technology. And uh, when you look through an old arts and crafts uh, um, plan book or you look through photographs of old houses and you go as far back as to some of the patterning books like design standard books, uh, you mm -hmm. know, the old AIA design standard books, fireplaces were a few different sizes really. They, uh, and, it was, and everything worked pretty well with them. Now with the event, invention of the gas fireplace, um, it seems like we're constantly fighting a... Um, you know, a mythical dimension back and forth that you know tiles don't necessarily work for, and you know, like you're, and, and and often it's a really a last minute decision for people, and it's one of the mo biggest focal points in the house. And you know, I think that tile right, thing is yeah. important. Yeah, you know, it, it is a myth that fireplaces are a standard size these days, and um, we do get. You know, customers assuming that they can take, you know, a picture of a fireplace that we've made, design A, and apply it. And to some degree, that's it's true, except that it won't fit, and we have to adjust. I mean, the idea, you know, it's what you're saying is true. You can't always take what seems like a standard size tile, and you know, that's about four by four inches or so, and pop it across a fireplace, and it'll work. But who wants to just use four by fours on the on the fireplace facade anyway? So uh, I would say that we embrace <laughs> the differences and really understand that we're, we're looking for homeowners to get their the, the areas to be tiled uh, professionally measured, and we like to see photographs of the area. We don't, you know, it would be great if we could go to visit every person's house. Um, that would really increase the cost quite a bit. Uh, uh, we, got to luxuriate in spending our time that way <laughs> um, to go and visit and measure every house ourselves. But um, 
just really seeing what's going on with each house is indispensable, really. Um, and I think there's a lot about it that's just not obvious. It's not common sense. Um, you know, common sense says there's some standard sizes, and you know, in tile and fireplaces, and it's just it's not really true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, truer words not spoken. I mean, it's it's interesting. We have we have a, a, a you know kind of a three or four of the fireplaces that we, when we're using gas fireplace that we use because we. We kind of understand them and they're the right proportion for most of our work. But, you know, everyone, you know, certainly now, like, uh, there's been a, whether it's an arts and crafts house or it's a house that's more contemporary, um, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis on these very horizontal um, fireplaces. And they're, they're really difficult to figure out because they don't, you know, the dimensions are often, you know, the cut sheets from the manufacturer are a little elusive to say the least. <laughs> I know what you mean by that. Yeah, you know, if something's really horizontal, it just is going to have a really different look and feel than a Rumford fireplace or something, you know, that's taller and skinnier or more blocky. You know, we spend a lot of time looking at the proportions and trying to make them, uh, make them pleasant. And this may they might see some, seem like a sort of soft word, but I'll give you an example. We, you know, we make a six by six inch tile. And you know a border that might someone might use a lot is two by six inches, and so you've got the two inches juxtaposed against the six. You know what? It's a very static and boring proportion. I find so if I've got eight inches to deal with, I'll, I'll take a uh, I'll put a one inch trim piece on either side of that six inch piece, and that difference in size is much more dynamic than the difference you know than being one third of something. The two by six against the six by is boring. The one by six, the you know the one by liner is much more exciting and interesting and pleasing. So there's just some general things like that 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 I'm always noticing is the proportion of shapes and the proportion of sizes to the space and the sizes of your units to each other. That's before you get into color and before you get into uh, relief design or anything. Right, it's just like you know, working with those pieces. We end up in a similar situation, and whether it be window proportioning or columns outside of the buildings, and it's not, um, you know, it's not a big difference that makes a huge difference. And <laughs> I think it's the tension it creates, and you know, and the negative space that it creates is is often what people. Um, see in real life, but they, I don't know that it's always what they know that they're seeing. There's something they like about it, and they, and I feel like they can't put their hands on it. They can be like, that really feels different, but they're not they're not exactly sure what it is. But when I look at it, I see. I mean, I almost feel like uh, you know, it's like you you go from seeing you know negative space back and forth. It's like I always feel like I'm cutting things out in my in my vision, and uh, you know, I always wonder how it looks to somebody who doesn't look at things like that every day. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fascinating? <laughs> You look with your client's eyes. We try, <laughs> of course. You know that's all part of designing is talking to. Um, you know, it's usually a couple or, or you know a homeowner about what they're seeing, what they like, and sliding ideas in front of their eyes and seeing how they react. Every meeting is a little process of you know let's test an idea, test this idea, test this color, and seeing how people react, and then. You know, keeping on working on the ideas that people love, and you're right. The people that aren't designers, they don't—they don't know how to make it pretty. But but most people know when they see it. They know 
when they see something that they really like, they know that. Um, the, the, the ones that don't are really tough customers to work with. <laughs> but, um, you know, as designers, we're good at that. Right, and I think you take, you take, you take clues from them. Um, you know, body language, what they're talking about, what they've shown you. And I mean, the, the beautiful thing about a product like yours or a product like ours is that, you know, usually people come in the door with something in, like liking a general aesthetic or something about what it is you do. I mean, it must be hard, you know, I think about people who are a lot more generalist and it must be tough to be like, somebody comes in because you were, you were under A in the phone book. <laughs> yes, you know what? Back in my first days in the garage, I, uh, I had an ad in the phone book because it was inexpensive and seemed like what you do if you're in business. And it was productive. Uh, uh, I, I took it out after a year, and I would call them and say, do not put me in the phone book because it led people down the wrong path for what they, you know, for what they were looking for. They would always call and ask for grout. or you know, They were looking for something that was not tiled that's amazingly beautiful and it's going to cost you know, a couple of thousand dollars to do your fireplace. So it would, it would create frustration for both the customer and myself. So I took Matawi out of the yellow pages <laughs> and have kept it that way. Uh, yeah, because we would get put under contractors and dealers. So isn't that a funny thing that getting lumped in with a general really, it really was counterproductive for everyone? You know, it's, it's, not, it's not much different with us, too. We had the similar yellow page experience. Uh, <laughs> and what I found is, like, when I started asking when, the, what, when where people found us trying to be the, you know, the, the armchair marketeer that I am, um, I, I, would find, I would find out that it's like, oh, I found you in the yellow pages. And after a while, I realized what they were calling for was price. Because there was nothing about the yellow, and, you know, bungalow company was pretty high up in the, you know, alphabetically. And uh, people would come and be like, well, how much will you draw me a set of plans for? And I would always uh, be like, well, that's kind of like buying a, buying a car by the pound. I mean, <laughs> what, what are you asking me to do? And, you know, are we even a fit? And, you know, and, and what are you looking for? So I always found, I always found that was, uh, the Yellow Page is very counterproductive. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, it, it is interesting. I feel like, you know, there's, the Internet was a great a great thing for, for this. It really it really gave us the, I don't know how we would have worked, you know, as nationally as we've been able to and have kind of a following and a, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a group that, a group that we all are connected to. Um, and I don't know that how that would have, would have been a lot slower and probably a lot smaller. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it certainly the internet. When we started, you know, we put our first website up in 1995, and you know, mm -hmm. it was it was kind of a. I mean, it it, it was bizarre. Um, a friend of mine built the website, and you know, it was uh, quirky, and there was nothing about business with it, and it was just about you know, kind of these few plans that we had and this idea. Um, and it, it, but it brought a lot of people out of the woodwork, and it, and it was interesting, you know, to kind of evolve with that and see, you know. Where we found our niche, and you know how, and the kind of people that we connect with, which I think is re it's really interesting that there is uh, there is a there is a certain social value, um, in in this internet piece, and we seem to connect with people with like minds and like uh, like desires, and it, it, I find I find it's pretty rewarding that way. Definitely, well, I love the net because um, it takes a company that. Basically, if our company had to live on only what we could sell in the nearby or the regional area, we might not really make it. But being able to have, you know, a, nation, a national audience for the slice of 
aesthetic you know, that we're willing to make makes it possible to have a company. Uh, there was one thing I've been, I was thinking about as you were talking related to arts and crafts mentality uh, of the workers and to something that we do at Metallic, which most people would be surprised to hear about, which is that we employ Toyota-style lean production methods. Now, the Toyota guys would call it Toyota-style production. What ha and how we got into this was that back in 19 or 2003, you know, I, I I was looking around the business and saying, hey, this is great. We have a nice reputation. But frankly, we're not really making much money. <laughs> and this is a problem to me <laughs> um, if I'm going to keep making tile. Um, and my business partner at the time went looking for uh, information on lean manufacturing. And uh, it, there's a point coming here. Um, the uh, sort of expert who had just written a layman's book on lean manufacturing on Toyota was Jeffrey Liker. Jeffrey Liker lives in Ann Arbor where I live. And so we called him up and said, can we talk? You know, we're this funny little tile company. You know, it's an artisan company, but we, we need some more help because making tile is manufacturing. And he said, oh, yes, I can help you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to bring by a PhD candidate that's work that I'm working with. And this young man had posited that you could apply Toyota-style production to a high variability, meaning lots of different SKUs and lots, lots of varying amounts of all of them, and but a low volume uh, operation, which was us to a T, and so and we embraced it. Uh, you know, the only caveat was that we couldn't take his free advice and not apply it. Otherwise, he would stop and go find another company that would actually do, you know do the experiments. So uh, we said, yes, sir, we will do what you say. And much of it was counterintuitive at the time. Uh, you know, we used to make a lot of lists about what to do. Um, I guess what's a great example is, is the inventory that we used to keep. Um, we make our tile on a press and the um, setting up the press takes a bit of time. In those days, it would take almost half an hour. And so whenever we put a, tie, a mold on the press, we would tend to press at least 50 uh, of whatever it was that we had on the press, whether 50 was just enough for one order or 50 of that particular piece was going to be a five-year supply. We would make 50. And what ended up happening is that we had a lot of extra tile half, halfway made, so we would press it, we would dry it, we would fire it once, and then that makes what we call disc tile that then still needs to be glazed. So we ended up with tons and tons of this bisque tile that, that we didn't need yet. Um, and of course we had spent a lot of money to create that tile, which wasn't doing any us or our customers any good. Meanwhile, making 50 of something instead of five of them meant that the weight the wait for the tiles that people really wanted would get longer and longer and longer. Uh, big problem. So our lead times would be very long and a little bit, um, you know, un, um, unreliable. Uh, and that was that's clearly a problem for anyone. So we learned that um, he came in uh, and said, look, you've got to change your changeover time. What, what you think, you know, what takes half an hour, you need to cut down to like, five minutes. 
So start working on it. it. Really needed a really big change, and actually that's the first thing that we did. We, you know, thought a lot harder about it, tried some new things, tried a little different setup, and did get the changeover down to, in most cases, five minutes or less. So then we could make, you know, 20 different parts in a day instead of five different parts in a day. Made us much more nimble. Uh, <laughs> and that's just one little piece of, of the many um, initiatives that he brought to the tile works. Um, we also use a Kanban system, which a few of your viewers might might know that word. It's a lot to explain, but it allows us to keep um, our beautiful gift tile in stock at all all the time, and make the right amounts of the of the right tiles at any given day. Um, we know exactly what we need to be making to satisfy uh, customer demand. And it doesn't take any of the art out of it at all. Right. It almost sounds like it's, it's more like dealing with the, the, the entire project at one time rather than trying to find some efficiency in having, you know, having an inventory that costs you money and you may never get the full value out of the inventory because you may or may not ever need it or need it in a timeline. It's true. Yes, that's a big thing. You know, one of the other facets of Lean, which falls in line with arts and crafts, or, is this idea that the, um, the line worker, the person who's actually making the stuff, understands the process better than other people. And it's their job to make sure that things are perfect coming out of their department and that they can stop something if it isn't right and that they're the best place to come up with improvements. And so we really listen closely to what they're doing because they're the specialists. They're the experts in, you know, in pressing a tile or dealing with the clay. I don't do it every single day as closely as they do. So they know, and they have the power and the responsibility even to make sure the stuff is coming off right and to stop. To stop if there's something wrong with the clay, they don't press it and they come and say, okay, <laughs> you know, you gotta come help us figure this out. So it puts control in the workers' hands. And a lot of responsibility as well. And that's kind of, you know that's probably similar with us too, especially with our inline plans, our kind of our our, our ready to, more ready to go plans. There's um, you know there's a pretty strong direction in there, and there's no real inventory of them. Um, they're they're more like you know just you know they're digital, and you know people make changes to them. But there are a lot of stop and start processes, and like you know whether it be a zoning department or it be a historical. Commission, or it'd be a budget issue. You know, there's a lot of places along the way where you're like, okay, someone needs to know to pull the plug or tell the client to pull the plug and wait a minute yeah. um, before you know you could. You know, it's kind of interesting because you could run through and get the whole project done in one sitting, but you might find that you know one the client couldn't afford it, two that you were you know outside of the zoning laws or billing code or whatever it is. But and uh, you know training people to you know know how to ask those questions and when to ask those questions is uh, is kind of an interesting. Uh, Kind of an interesting process, but I think it's also um, you know the more people do it, the more confidence they have with it, and the more reliant you become on them as as a collective group. Well, yeah, that's the service that you provide. Yeah. Homeowners clearly are often not doing these kinds of projects more than once in their life, so um, they can't be expected to know these things. Um, yeah, no, they, you know, they kind of, between us and the builder and all the suppliers, you know, for us, it's always seems like there's a, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a order in which it all goes together, and it's usually all the same parts and pieces, but never in the same order. Just. <laughs> uh, uh, excellent. 
Well, I've really enjoyed uh, being able to talk with you today and, uh, you know, hear how you guys do what you do and kind of the uh, some of the shared philosophies of design and, you know, how we go about it. I find it interesting that, you know, we're more of a service and less of a product and you're more of a product and less of a service. But, you know, sharing that... Uh, Sharing that that artistic bent and in both of those in both of those places brings similar challenges for sure. Sure does. All right. Lovely talking to you. Yeah. You too. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.